Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and uh, for listening to the podcast today and riding along. Um, got a lot on my mind this morning, um, a lot of thoughts. And I'm just going to say now, if, if I can't just slow myself down, reach up into the recesses of my brain and make all of these things come together to some cohesive way of delivering anything that makes any sense, there's no hope for you today, friend. <laughs> um, I have a lot of emotion stirring in me today, and let me tell you why. Okay, so I was sharing um, a couple weeks back when the story broke in the news about the author of the I Kiss Dating Goodbye books, Leaving the Faith, and not because it's in culture and, and it's trending or because it's a hot topic and like, well, we need to pick hot topics to talk about so that we're relevant, but just it, as I explained in podcasts a couple weeks back, it really just resonated with me on several levels that I don't have time to recall and, and explain again, but it just really, it stirred a lot of thoughts in me and feelings towards why I believe this happens, why I believe it matters, why I believe it is a very necessary topic for us to examine for those of us who say we are presently in the faith, which does need some defining from my perspective. What does it mean to be in the faith? Are these people who were in and are now out, were they in? I mean, these are valid questions that must be proposed must be talked about. I shared in great length a couple weeks ago about how I believe one of the main issues is that I don't believe people have a right, safe place to within the confines of the body to really be themselves. And we can all say, well, everybody can be themselves. It's just, it's, it's one's own choice to stay withdrawn or to stay closed or to stay hidden. Well, yes, absolutely yes and amen, but we have to face the reality that the religious institution that Christianity has become does not provide the means for people to really be transparent and real and genuine in regards to what they believe, what they wonder about, what they doubt about. These things, yes, are, are well known, but everybody has them, but what ways are we really providing relationally, okay? I mean, really relationally. We're talking about a Christianity, a brotherhood of believers who believe that when you went into this sect of, of followers of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, you left everything. You left your family and these brothers and sisters became your family. You became relationally, covenantally connected to these brothers and sisters. And I'm telling you, friends, we don't have that today. And because we don't have that, there's no true accountability. There's no true genuineness. There's no confessing your sins one to another. There's just all these things I don't have time to go into that's lacking because we have not been the right demonstration of the body of Christ on the earth. So that gets me to my point. Um, and let me do a little bit of background information. Some of you who listen to this who maybe have known uh, my wife and I for a long time know, but most people would not know. Um, 
years and years ago, we used to think we were cool. We used to think we were hip. We were very involved with the Christian music scene, which kind of morphed into like the not-so-Christian music scene. Um, There's no time for all of that. But in the late 90s and early 2000s, my wife and I were married in 2000, and in that time period, we went to concerts all the time. We, we attended a lot of shows, often multiple times a week. Um, when we got married and lived in Atlanta, we would go downtown probably three nights a week to different concerts. And along the lines, along the course of this journey of that season of our life, um, one of the bands that we really liked musically was the band Skillet. And we would go to their shows and, and we quickly... Somehow, I would have to go into the recesses of my memory to even remember the specifics of some things about how we got to know them personally, the band, um, in the late 90s. And so they had band member changes, this and that and the other. I don't have time to go into all that. I like talking about it because it's fun reminiscing. But whatever the case, our relationship, friendship, basically became with John and Corey. Uh, the founding married couple, of course, behind the band. And we got so we would kind of be their groupies. We would travel hours and endless miles to go to their concerts, often back-to-back nights. And back then, their shows were very small. They were at churches. They were at youth group you know, centers, um, high schools. They were very attainable. They were, they were just kind of normal people in the sense of how you could talk to them, hang out with them this and that and the other, greatly summarized, um, I would like to say that, that we became friends. And one time we were in Memphis visiting, and they had a house there for a season, and we went to their house and, and spent time there with them and talking with them. This was before we had our son and before they had children. And we would just see them with great frequency and great regularity. Well, they began to get more popular It became a little harder and harder to get to know them, see them, hang out with them, eat with them, whatever the case, get on the bus with them. They became a little more distant as time passed because of their popularity. Well, fast forward several years, and they really started getting popular, and their autograph lines would go longer and later into the night, and there just wouldn't be time, and then they had their first child, and Everything from there with our relationship just really started to quickly taper off. Now, I, I'm fine with that. That's, I get it. I was never in the music scene specifically in a band, but I get how that works. There's, a not, there's just not enough hours in the day. John had to do more phoners and interviews and, and demands of all these things. that I, could, I don't know how in the world they're still alive. <laughs> but that being said... We had somewhat of a friendship with them years ago. So here we are now. I mean, my goodness, we're talking probably, I don't know, 16 years really since we've talked. And because of all the changes of our life, we are literally not the same human beings as we were then. If anybody saw like a glimpse into our life 20 years ago and then put it beside our life now and it would probably take some convincing that 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 was even the same people that, that we're even the same couple it's that extravagant of a change and so much has changed much time has passed 
they have, to the best I can understand, become very popular. I had unplugged from them. I just, for me personally, I needed to just give up all of that style of music and that genre of just pop culture and stuff. And so I got rid of all that music, not to burn it because it's the devil, but just because it just wasn't me anymore. It just, I couldn't identify with it. I liked it, but I couldn't identify with it spiritually. So it got put on the shelf for years. Okay, so fast forward, maybe a year ago, um, I just started looking around a little bit into seeing what Skillet was doing. Like, what, where are they? What, what are they recording? Like, are they, how are they doing? And I looked into it a little bit, like I said, about a year ago. But about two months ago, maybe ten weeks ago, I just really started thinking a lot about John Cooper specifically. And if for some crazy reason, John, you're listening... I hope I have your attention. I know you remember us. It's been a very long time. I would love to have a conversation with you. Why? Because, like I said, eight or ten weeks ago, I just really, I don't, I would, I don't want to throw this word around, but just felt really burdened for John. And just for Skillet and what they do and what, what heavy weight is upon that type of lifestyle for that long, the demands upon them, what spiritual implications that must have as a, as a heavy weight upon a very demanding lifestyle. And so I, I just started praying for John, thinking about John, asking God, am I supposed to reach out to them? Kristen did some poking around, contacted one of the founding members of the band, and, and we've been corresponding a little bit, and he gave us information how to contact John and Corey. And I've just kind of been sitting on that. I've just been like, Lord, I don't want to just contact them and just like unload all this stuff because I think it's right or I think it's good. God, I'm waiting upon you. I don't know what you're doing. I trust you'll just let us know. Obviously, there's a lot going on in our life here. And so it hasn't been that hard to just set it aside, but I have been doing that. And so then all this stuff comes around with this author leaving the faith and over the last eight or ten weeks, I've started looking into John specifically and kind of what he's saying. I listened to a few songs off of their last five, six records that I had not heard. And I just have kind of compiled within me this view from my life, okay, from my life of kind of where I see they are. My assessment, okay, I'll make that clear. And presenting that to the Lord, saying, if there's anything I could do, say, be to John and to Corey and to like what you have given them as a life to perpetuate the kingdom and like advance your kingdom, God, make it happen. I don't know how to do that. So I got to connect a lot of dots in, in a very short amount of time. I'm trying to figure out which dots to even bring up. So. Obviously, I shared in this podcast several weeks ago when that story broke in national news about the author leaving the faith and how that landed with me, as I already prefaced at the beginning of this recording, how friends of mine, ironically enough, from the old music scene in Atlanta, now walked away from their faith themselves, have been on that journey of leaving the faith, finding themselves, discovering their self. Why that resonated with me 
And as I shared in the podcast, the thousands of people who, who were commenting on that national story saying, that's my story, that's my story. I'm so glad he's free. I'm so glad he's, he's finding himself. And how that just, that storyline grieves me to no end because I just want to say, no, no, no. Not in a way of like, you don't know God, get out of here. But in a way of like, no, let's, let's not just sit down and talk about this. But like, can we be sure you even knew God to begin with? Can we ask some tough questions? What are you leaving? What were you believing? Who were you? Who is God? Like, can we have some dialogue about these matters first? But again, the Christian culture does not allow that to take place. We're not, we're not positioned to truly be a brotherhood of believers who walk arm in arm in transparency and dependence with one another for that to happen. So, how does this all connect? Well, John Cooper the other day, he posted on Facebook um, a lengthy article that he had wrote in response to this author, leader, guru guy leaving the faith. And like how we need his, his um, article in summary was... Uh, what in God's name is happening to Christianity, or what has happened to Christianity, I don't remember. I'm paraphrasing. And he, he talks about like how we have exchanged the word, the eternal word of God, for emotion. And we need to return to the truth and not emotion. And, and you know, that was a lot of what I would, withdraw, I would draw out as being the theme. But here's, here's, the, here's the problem for me, okay? Here's the problem for me within that. Because I look from my perspective upon what pop, Christian pop culture is defined by and perpetuates as the problem, okay? Pop culture, which there's really hardly any division. I want to harp on that to no end. There's no distinction of kingdoms. The kingdom of the world looks like the Christian kingdom. It looks the same. They are completely interchangeable, except instead of the skull t-shirt dripping blood off of the daggers that go through the eyes and has a pentagram on the back, on the back it has a Bible verse reference. That's the only defining qualities, and I'll use that as an example. We could go through endless examples of how everything looks the same. Take a snapshot of a modern worship setting, a Christian concert, and you put it beside any other concert. With audio, I don't know the difference. Everything looks the same. The children are responding the same. And I'm not an old lady, okay? This is a culture I was in for years and for years and for years, eyeball deep, okay? I'm not just some old grandma sitting on a hill saying, oh, kids today, Everybody's just the same. It's all the devil. I'm not saying that. This isn't some backmasking LP guy coming to your high school in 1984 telling you how when you play a certain song backwards it says worship Satan. I'm not that guy. I'm saying spiritually speaking as a man who's almost 46 and has a little bit of retrospect upon life and where I used to be and who I used to be, I see now the pitfalls of the identical approaches 
that is emotion-based. It is emotion-based. It stirs, it grabs, it arrests, it changes, it alters the state and mind condition of men. Okay? And here's where I, I can't go down all these trails, but several weeks ago, I talked to great, great, to a great extent about, um, oh, my train of thought just left me, so I'm going to have to jump over to this one. So we've been talking about kingdoms a lot in my latest podcast. Which kingdom, like the definition of our lives, the way we think, the way we carry out our decision making, how we see God, how we see our brothers, what sways those decisions? What guides our decision making? How do we arrive at a position on any matter? Okay, and here, okay, now it's back. Sound doctrine. I believe it was the last podcast series I posted about what do we do with the scripture that says a day is coming when men will no longer endure sound doctrine. I believe that what John is proposing is the problem within the church. I think we might have to step back and recognize that it's simply a sign of the age. It is a sign of the age that we live in that was prophesied and has come. It has come, friends. People will not endure the truth of the word. They won't endure sound doctrine. Why? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. How did we get here? I don't even have time. Generation after generation after generation abandons the set-apart, godly, holy lifestyle. We have abandoned a life of being consecrated and set apart. Go back and listen to the Hezekiah and the Second Chance People of God series and get that point straight from the Scripture, driven home as hard as you can, as straight and, and, and true as you can, straight from the Scriptures. What did the people do? They had forgotten they were God's people. They had forgotten God Himself. Hezekiah came in. He said, everything's about to change. We're undoing everything. We're ripping off all the weeds and the, and the nasty and the death that has come onto and into the temple of God. And we're cleaning it up. Go to the closets. Bring out all of the pieces that are within to worship the Lord and to honor Him. And we're going to restore the temple we're going to send letters out to the people of God to remind them, you are a stiff-necked people, you're hard-hearted, you're dull of hearing, you know nothing, you are outside of the will of God in rebellion, you have got to come back and know God. You've got to rediscover who He is and thereby who you are. You have got to do this, it's your only hope, it's your reason for existence. And I'm telling you all, that is the message of the hour. What in the world's going on with Christianity? No one knows God. And no one knows who they are in Him. We have got to hear that warning that came through us through the Old Testament Scriptures of saying, as King Hezekiah did, y'all are ignorant. You have no idea who you even are. We, in a spiritual sense, have done the same. 
our spiritual heritage, our Gentile heritage of being grafted into becoming the literal people of God because we are now in the offspring of Jesus the Christ, the firstborn of many brethren, for any one of us who are in Him by living a life dedicated to Him, surrendered to Him, losing ourselves to Him, into Him, we now are the children of God. But we must return the same way Hezekiah said. Consecrate yourselves. Wash your hands. Purify yourselves. Some things need done. Some things need done, friends. We cannot just say, hey, we're God's people. We got to start being different. No, we're too far gone. We're too far down the road. We have got to all corporately get on our faces and repent because we are sick. We are depraved. We look just like the world. And let me get a little bit personal. And this is why I, I, I pray that God gives me an, an open door to even talk to John. Because here's the thing, y'all. Here's what we've got to realize. I listen to the songs that John sings, the lyrics that I know he writes and I know he's passionate. I believe he loves the Lord. He did 20 years ago. I don't know him and I have zero interest in judging him. I'm asking questions. I'm asking the same questions of, of myself. And of course even greater because it's me and I know my depravity more than anybody else. But I'm just saying. We're talking about we've got to adhere to the truth. We've got to ad adhere to the word of God. And one of the songs that stuck out to me a couple months ago that I heard for the first time, it's one of Skillet's songs, I couldn't even make it through all of it because I feel like it opposes the kingdom. You can take my heart, you can take my breath when you pry it from my cold, dead chest. It's our resistance. You can't resist us. This is how we rise up. All this, now I'm more than a conqueror. You can have my life when you pry it from my cold, dead hands with this angst and this rebellion. And I'm telling you, I, there is, it's, it is absolutely possible I'm misunderstanding that. And it means something completely than what it does to my understanding and to my ears. That is possible. I say that. That's fine. But to me, when I'm trying to walk and I'm trying to, to teach others to walk in a pattern of the surrendered, suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for every single man. And he said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. What do I do with those lyrics? If I'm an impressionable 15-year-old Christian girl in a youth group, and I hear that, and that becomes the anthem of my life, how does that transfer over to any other area of my life? Who is that applicable towards? Because what I read in the scriptures and the pattern I know about Jesus, the Son of God made flesh, he welcomed, he welcomed the punishment and suffering. We're told in the scriptures he learned obedience by it. And you hear me say that all the time. So what do we do with that? How can, I val how can I value this life so much that you've got to pry it from my cold, dead hands to have it when Jesus Christ said what? We said this last week. 
whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When I surrender my life to everything in this world that like wants to have me and pursue me and all the principalities and powers, when I yield myself to death saying, hey, you know what? You can just bypass me because like Paul said, I'm already dead. I'm already dead. If you want to come to me, you go to the one whose my life is hidden within, which is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Because I am hidden in him, with him in God. I'm dead. I'm dead. My identity is irrelevant. What I want, what I want to fight against, all of these things are irrelevant. Paul was always admonishing us to not live according to the flesh, to not see one another according to the flesh, to not wage war according to the flesh. We're talking about unseen realities that we will only see, friend, when we start taking our eyes off of ourselves. Am I invincible? No. No, I'm not. In Christ Jesus, I am anything and everything sufficient. That has to be made absolutely crystal clear or else that becomes very confusing. I don't walk invincible. I'm not called to be invincible. I'm more than an overcomer. I'm all these things we could say. But there are prerequisites for all of these matters. Their newest song, and I'm using this as an example. I have no interest in judging Skillet in their lyrics. I just want to talk because somewhere in my heart, like, they still mean something to me. They still mean, they hold some value within my heart. And I just long to have any kind of a voice if one person would listen to what I'm saying. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody who lives in the mountains of southwestern Virginia, Nowhereville. I've got no nothing. Legendary is the new song. You're legendary. Be legendary. Well, the first thing that I think about is the Tower of Babel. Legendary. As in the days of Noah, right, y'all? As in the days of Noah. Well, what were the days of Noah? It wasn't just a bunch of drinking, hanging out, loose people doing whatever they wanted. They were legendary. What are we told about the prophecies of Babel, of Babylon, excuse me? Well, it's like Babel, legendary, exalted, elevated, strong. As I often say about this national patriotic Christianity, invincible people, look at us. You can't defeat us, you can't touch us, you better back off. Y'all, this is such sacred holy ground that we have got to understand we've got to hold so carefully because the pattern of the scriptures is the lowly disabled unprepared disarmed people are the ones who won the battle on behalf of God Yahweh eternal they are the ones who won the ones who climbed into a raging inferno fiery furnace and said hey you don't have to pry my life from my cold, dead hands. I will deliver it to you on a plate. 
because I serve an eternal Yahweh, one true God. And you don't hold my fate in your hands. Yes, I'm invincible, but because I'm hidden in the Creator. The Tower of Babel has trickled all the way down to here. All throughout the ages. God said what? Be my people. All right, he said at creation, I'm creating you in our image. The plurality of the counsel of God, the image of God in man, his imagers, his expression on the earth. Go forth, multiply. Boom, sin comes. Everything changes. You've got the flood. You've got Tower of Babel. Time after time after time, man says, hey, thanks God for the advice. We're setting up camp here. We got it, thanks. We're good. Do you see how strong we are, God? Do you see how strong we are? Do you see this tower? Oh, okay. Oh, you're coming down? Okay. God comes down and inspects. He looks upon the tower. He says, hmm, interesting. I thought I told you all to scatter and multiply. Carry my glory across the whole earth as my imagers. But guess what? Y'all are rebellious, stiff-necked people. You want to build a tower and deify yourself. Well, guess what? It's not happening. And God, as we're told, frustrates the whole thing. He makes it happen. He makes them go. And he creates his own people from scratch because those people outside were such a stiff-necked, rebellious, hard-hearted people who would not hear him. So we know God instates his own nation, his own people for himself. That we, my friend, have been invited into now through Jesus into those people. Well, what do we do with that extension and invitation? What do we do with that? Okay, this is where I have to get it to a close or else I'm going to talk all, all day long. And I'm not even joking. I've got all these pages of scribbled notes. I haven't even looked at one. <laughs> I don't have time. But what do we do now? The question really that John is posing is, what's our problem? Well, here's the problem. The problem with Christianity is us. It is us. We have got to embrace that. Christianity is what it is because of all of us. It's because of our grandparents and our parents and our cousins and our uncles and our neighbors and our pastors and our preachers and our authors and our evangelists, our worship leaders and ourselves. We are, it has become a product of who we are. And unless this nation, unless this earth, unless all of created mankind comes in humility at the throne of God, pleading our case before him, saying, we are unrighteous, we are unclean, we have forgotten you and your ways and your precepts and your statutes, we have been a rebellious people, and we do not know you. Until we do that, this cycle will continue, which I believe is the prophesied way it will unfold. That's why God is saying there will always be a remnant of people, a small amount of people, a set-apart people. Do we understand the set-apart reality? If there's anyone listening to this that's 
like not normally who would listen to this podcast, who is involved in like just, do we know what pop culture is? Pop culture is popular culture. It is a wide way reality. And so if the, the valiant cry of pop culture, the, the war cry, the assembling of the culture, is, you're awesome. Don't you let anybody keep you down. Then that is going to be what permeates everything that comes out of her. Self-sufficiency, strongness, capableness, victorious. You never lose, you never fall, you never have anything wrong. There is no need for dependence in our age. 2019 is making that crystal clear. Don't you be dependent upon anyone except God. God is good. Be dependent on him in your prayer closet by yourself because you can't trust anybody else but him. Well, let me just bring this to a culmination and close the door on this for now. I think one thing that would do us good, we've not had hardly anyone who has gone before us, who has been maturing for all of their days in the ways of the truth. Scriptural holiness, set-apartness. Where are the spiritual fathers? Where are they? And if they're not there, if they are so few in number as they do seem, it's time for those of us who still have time left to become them. To be different. Because I'm telling you, I, I, am, I am crystal clear on this today. I cannot be a relevant man my age trying to be hip, cool, connected, just like you, brother. Hey, I'm just like you. Hey, I just happen to have Jesus. Want to hear about him? If my life looks like you, smells like you, sounds like you, does everything you do, why in the world would you want to have Jesus tacked on the end? You wouldn't need him. You know what? This is just a fact. My life looks starkly different than pop culture, than mainstream Christianity. Not so that I am different. It's what I believe demands I'm different. The set-apart life, the consecrated life, the I can't do what you do. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Not because, well, I feel bad and make me feel guilty. No, because I believe that there's a possibility that might bring dishonor to the name of Jesus the Christ. And you know what, friend? It's not worth the risk. I mean, I'm not even sure, but it's not worth risking. I'm not going to judge you. Maybe you're free to do that. I'm just telling you. What I read, what I study, what I feel the Spirit of God within me convicts me of, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I want to be a set-apart people. I want to be consecrated. I don't want to do what you do because then I'm just like you and I've been like you. And I found something, not more, I've found something different. I've found something different. I'm not a better creation. I'm a new creation. I'm not a caterpillar that became a bigger, stronger caterpillar. I'm a butterfly now. The metamorphosis transformation of Jesus 
has literally changed me. As we talked about months ago, I have been moved from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. I don't even live in the same place anymore. And friends, I'm just saying, are we so marked? Are we so marked? Or have our, has our generation been just completely duped to believe that we have to be like everyone else to be relevant? They won't listen to Jesus unless I'm just like them. That's hogwash. It's ridiculous. We have so many scriptures we could go into that say the opposite of that, that I will not get to today at all, of course. We've got to be a set-apart people. We've got to be holy. We've got to be distinguishable. I'm with what John said about truth over emotion. Amen times a million. But we've got to step back and say, what areas of my own life are fueled by emotion? And in whatever sphere of influence I have, how am I actually per like perpetuating what I say is wrong? We've got to do that. We've got to take everything we are, believe, want, identify with, and are identified by, and put it before the Lord and say, God, you have got to distinguish what remains. You've got to do it. Otherwise, it's just this genericness of the gospel. And I'll go back to where I started, and then I have to close. There will come a time, we're told, as I spoke on the other day, where men will not endure sound doctrine. And as I said then, for, for anyone who didn't listen to it, I would just humbly ask that you listen to it to see if there might be truth within it for you. I don't hold absolute truth. I don't. I'm full of flaws. Full. But if, if, if we're told men will not always endure sound doctrine, the question that I pose, well, then what? <laughs> what will do it, God? What will win people over, if you will, and move them from darkness to light? How will people know God? And I'm just convinced, and I said it in much greater detail a couple weeks ago, I'm convinced that it is by a living demonstration of a set-apart people. A living demonstration of people who say, you know what? Listen, brother, I know God. I know him. He communes with me. His spirit lives inside this mortal body. A living demonstration, not a testimony, not just a testimony how God saved me in 1986. No. A living, ongoing, pursuing, ever-growing, maturing experiential reality that, you know what? I know God. And that's what I'm seeing missing from these people leaving the faith. We're not talking about leaving an ideal, forsaking a doctrine. We're talking about, do you know God? Do you know Him? That's the question that needs asked. So, what is wrong with Christianity? I would say, we don't know God. And therefore, we don't know ourselves. So I'm fine with the scolding. I'm fine with the correction. Let it come. 
It has to. There's plenty of room. But I'm just saying, can we all step back and introspectively look upon ourselves and say, do I know God? Do I know him? Because you know what, friends? It could be any one of us tomorrow. It could be any one of us tomorrow. May we be careful. May we be cautious. May we be wise. May we become more grounded than we've ever become because it could be any one of us because we're told what? Prophesied in Scripture. Even the elect can fall away. Man, y'all, we've got to be sober. We've got to sober up. Do we know him? Do we know him? If I know him, that question does not and will not and cannot offend me. How dare you ask me if I know God? Yeah, well, that's what Jesus basically said to the Pharisees. And what was their response? Their response proved they did not know him as he presently was right before their face. How dare you ask me, do I know God? Paraphrased. My confidence is in knowing him. And I can ask that question. And I can have that question posed to me. Because I choose to lay my life down. Nobody's taking it. Because I'm not my own any longer. I'm just not. So friends, let's be before the throne of God. Saying, God, we must know you. We must know you. You must reveal yourself to us or we have no chance. It's our only hope. My hope's not in any author, writer, preacher, teacher, nobody. We're all a mess, and if anybody says otherwise, they're out of their minds. Every one of us are fallen, flailed. I don't even know what flailed is. (laughs) Failing everyone. Flawed. (laughs) Evidence right there. We have no hope apart from God. But in him, oh my gosh, in him. But see, that's got to be made crystal clear. In him, through him, by him, to him. He is our hope. We have hope, y'all. We're a disaster. The church is a disaster. The church is the church of Hezekiah's day. Absolutely, hands down. But there's hope for her. Because her creator, her head, is saying, come to me. He's beckoning us. He's wooing us. But we cannot be dull of hearing. We cannot be dull of hearing because that's the in-between part that's hindering the church. We've got to have our spiritual eyes open and our spiritual ears unblocked. We've got to realize that we are probably in an age where sound doctrine, truth, isn't going to do it anymore. It's got to be fueled by the Spirit of God, the living Spirit of God. Not in me, not in me, in a people, in a plurality of people. God help us. You are our hope. There is hope for us. Amen.